If you would, go to Genesis chapter 22 in your Bibles. This is an easy book to find because it's the first one. So um, just open up to the first book, chapter 22. One of the most bizarre stories in Scripture, but one of the coolest, one of my favorites as well. Uh, as you're turning there, I just want to show some love and uh, recognize some people. I don't know why I feel like i got to do this, but I'm just going to do it. Um, Jeff Gaspar and Stephanie and everybody here who comes early, Ed, to set up. I just want to show them some love, so let's show them some love. Um, they, they do all this, and, you know, I just, I, I appreciate that. I really do. So I wanted to just recognize them and show them some love. All right, let's preach. So, Genesis chapter 22. Every decent parent knows what it's like to sacrifice for their children. Every mother understands the pain and sacrifice of giving birth. Every father knows, I hope, the sacrifice of waking up at 2 a.m. to change a smelly diaper. Um, I don't know that yet, but one day, Lord willing, I will. Sometimes it seems as if sacrificing time, effort, money for our children never ends. From changing diapers to driving them to sporting events, birthday parties, to seeing them off to college, which I hear deceptive, deceptively seems like a break from sacrificing until they give you the tuition bill and say, it's time, it's time to pay up. We sacrifice for our kids because we love them. Parenting is a sacrificial calling. Yet in all of the sacrifice, we call it all a joy, right? We provide for them, and we do all that we can to promise them a good life. Sacrificing for our children is natural, it's instinctual. But what if God called you from sacrificing for your children to sacrificing your children? Yikes. Yet that is exactly what God called Abraham to do. And that's exactly what God the Father did to his son, his only son, whom he loved. Jesus our Lord. If there was ever an example of a man who lived out his faith, it was Abraham. He believed God's promises and he, be and he believed God to provide the means to fulfill those promises. Throughout his life, he was tested many times, but nothing could prepare him for what was about to happen. Genesis 22, we pick up the story in verse 1. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? That's crazy. Pay close attention to the repetition, though. Abraham's son Isaac was not just his son. He was his only son whom he loved. Abraham did have another biological son, if you remember uh, his life. But Isaac was the son of promise. God's request to have Abraham sacrifice his only son is absolutely illogical. Not only because Abraham is told to slaughter his son and burn him, but because God said that it was through this son that he would make Abraham into a great nation. So it makes no sense. 
God, why would I kill my son, the son that you said would make uh, my descendants into a great nation? It makes no sense. Well, at least not to him at, the, at that time. Moving on, Genesis, oh, it says in Genesis 12, here's the promise. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So how is God going to make Abraham into a great nation if he kills his own son? Abraham is faced with a major problem. That's an understatement, I think. If Isaac dies, how will God make Abraham into a great nation and fulfill the promise? But despite the irrationality of the request, Abraham saddles his donkey, he sharpens his own axe, cuts the wood that his own son would die on, and he does it all by himself. I don't have a son or any children yet, but I can imagine the agony of sharpening that axe, cutting that wood, and knowing it was to kill my own son. After the items for the sacrifice are prepared, he departs. After what I'm sure was a long and psychologically intense three-day journey, Abraham sees the mountain from afar. There it is. So he orders his servants. He says, stay here. Well, let me just show you where it says in the scripture. Genesis 22, 5. This is a very peculiar thing, he says. He says to his servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So either Abraham was lying or something in him still believed the promise that God made for Isaac. He still believed that somehow, some way, they would go over there and come back alive. Despite the grim reality, the seemingly hopeless reality of what he's required to do, Abraham still has faith that somehow, some way, God would provide a means to save Isaac, his son, his only son whom he loves. You can almost literally feel the tension as Abraham takes the freshly chopped wood and puts the heavy burden on Isaac's back to carry up the mountain. Here's Isaac carrying the wood that he doesn't even know he would soon be killed on. Abraham then reaches for the instruments of fire. He grabs the knife, which he will soon drive through Isaac's chest, piercing the heart of his son, his only son, whom he loves. And they depart, Abraham and Isaac, father and son, alone, together. As Abraham and his son journey up the mountain, Isaac stops. And he calls out to Abraham, my father. Abraham turns and says, here I am, my son. And then Isaac says this, I see we have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? a pretty uh, understandable question, right? At a time like this. Isaac's no Isaac notices that they have all the ingredients for an offering but are missing the most important one. The lamb. You can have an altar and you can have a knife and you can have stuff to make fire, but what are you going to offer? You need a lamb. So upon this heart-wrenching question, Abraham looks his beloved son square in the eyes and says this. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. He's trusting God. 
to provide the sacrifice. The internal battle waging war inside Abraham must have been absolutely excruciating. And to add sorrow upon sorrow, Isaac says, Hey, Dad, where's the lamb? He had no idea that he himself was the lamb. But still Abraham, against all knowledge, against all rational thinking, places his faith, his trust, in the promise and provision of God. God will provide the lamb. So we're moving on here, and finally the time had come. After days of travel, they arrived at the place of which God had told Abraham. So Abraham gathers some stones, he constructs an altar. He then takes the wood which Isaac was carrying, is the instrument of Isaac's own death he was carrying. Sounds something like what Jesus did a little bit, I think. And he lays it in order on the newly constructed altar. Then suddenly Abraham seizes Isaac, he takes the ropes, he ties and binds his hands and feet together, he places them on top the wood of the altar. Isaac is trapped like a fish in a net. There's nowhere for him to escape, even if he tried. Abraham reaches out to grab the knife. He raises the knife into the air, about to drive the sharp stone through his son, his only son, whom he loved. Abraham sees the boy struggling for his life, and it's about to come down when suddenly a voice is heard. Abraham, Abraham. It was the voice of the angel of the Lord, of Yahweh. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Thank God. Like a cup of cold water on the lips of a man parched from the hot sun, Abraham in relief lifts his eyes up and he sees a ram caught by the horns in a thicket. A thicket is a thorn bush. Sounds a little like another story too. He sees the ram trapped. He takes it and he slaughters it on the altar, offering the sacrifice. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it, is, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. After Abraham offers the sacrifice, God speaks to him again a second time and says this. Excuse me. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God has shown himself faithful in providing the sacrifice for Abraham. Isaac, the son of promise, is spared and God reminds Abraham that he is faithful to fulfill his promise to make him into a great nation and to bless the whole world through him. And this is the foundation now that's being laid of this promise. But this promise is greater than just this story. A greater provision has been secured. The story of Abraham and Isaac, regardless of how bizarre it might seem, was written to instill hope and to instill trust 
uh, in Israel, who were the original recipients of the book of Genesis, that God would provide salvation and would keep his promise to bless them. That's why the story is written, so that you would trust God in the most hopeless situation. But for us today, it serves an even greater purpose. It serves as a, a sign pointing us to, well, you guessed it, Christ. Like a broken record, here I am preaching Christ again, but that's all I know how to do. Christ is our once-for-all sacrifice. Our provision of salvation, not from surrounding pagan nations, but from sin and death itself. If this story encourages us to do anything, it's to trust the promise and provision of God that he made for us in Christ. That whosoever believes, trusts him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father took his son, his only son, whom he loved. And he nailed him to a cross. It wasn't the Roman. Jesus wasn't agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane if he was scared of the Romans. It was the wrath of God that was poured on him for our, on our behalf. He was our sacrificial lamb. So like Abraham, we have a problem. The hope of blessing and life for the nations would be compromised if Isaac was killed. That was Abraham's problem. And we have a problem that's a little worse than that. Our hope and blessing of life is abolished when sin reigns in our hearts. That's our problem. You can watch CNN and MSNBC and all this stuff, and uh, there's a lot of problems in the world obviously, if you've watched the news. But it all stems from one core issue, and that is sin. Sin is our major problem. Sin is why we are in the mess that we're in. Sin is why we get sick. Sin is why we hurt each other. And ultimately, sin is why we die. And isn't that the problem, death? Isn't that what we all have to look forward to? Isn't that what is coming regardless? That's our problem. And the problem with sin is that its appearance is fine, attractive, it promises satisfaction, but the poison of it soon spreads and decays everything in your life. Like a leprous, flesh-eating disease, it just eats away and destroys you. We're all born with these cancerous cells of sin in our blood. There's not a human being today who doesn't sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, if that makes sense. And the sad reality is because all sin, all die. Abraham was going to lose his son. But we risk, run the risk of losing our very souls. The Apostle Paul cries out in desperation the shout that every sinful soul ought to reflect. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? Who will save me? Just like Abraham, we need divine provision to solve our problems. <clears throat> Let me tell you a story that I hope you enjoy, because my mother and I didn't. My birth was a very long and painful one for both my mother and I. Uh, communist Romanian hospitals didn't have the uh, top-notch medical supplies we do here in Canada. So as my mother was sitting on a bench 
her vision went blurry, and she felt me stop moving inside of her. Um, she, she had lost twins before me, and she decided that the pain of losing another child was too much. So, in her state, she felt around the cold walls of the hospital for a window that she might jump out and end it all. There was no hope. I was dead. She was dying. What else could you do? Until a mysterious person came out of nowhere and grabbed her, sat her on a chair, put a piece of wood in her mouth, reached up, grabbed me, and pulled me out. When I emerged, I was silent. I was dead. Then suddenly after some, I don't know what they did, did something, I started to cry. Life came back into my body, and this person disappeared, never to be seen again. That's the story my mother told me about my birth when I was like 18, and I was like, why'd you wait so long to tell me that? Because that's a pretty epic story. My mother's situation, our situation really, it seemed hopeless. She and I needed divine provision. We needed a miracle. I needed a miracle. Well, she did too. So when it looked utterly hopeless for the people of Israel, and they're on the brink of death, when Rome was stamping out the promise of Abraham to bless the world through his offspring, the son of promise was born. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The son of God came into the world as the fulfillment of the promise of God. Christ is the promised son of Abraham who would bring salvation to the whole world. And on this road that we call life, riddled with sin and hurt, there's only a, a, a seemingly hopeless, depressing expectation of death. If you really sit down and think about life, it's like, what's the point of all this? If, if there's no God, if there's no salvation, what's the point in all of this? But if we look upwards in faith and ask, like Abraham, where, or like Isaac rather, where is the lamb, God, Father, where is my lamb? He will tell us, I have provided the lamb. I have provided the lamb. And his name is Jesus Christ. The great Father God took his son, his only son, whom he loved, and he offered him as our once for all sacrifice. Once for all, it's finished. He abolished sin in Christ, Jesus, our Lamb. And although Abraham did not kill his son, God, the great Heavenly Father, crushed his for our salvation. When Abraham trusted God for the Lamb to sacrifice, it was a picture of us, wasn't it? Hoping and longing for the great provision of the forgiveness of our sins. That's probably why Jesus said this in John 8.56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Praise God. The hope of Abraham, the hope of Moses, the hope of David, the hope of Job, the hope of all the prophets and all of God's people throughout all of time is found in the finished work of Christ. The fullness of the blessing of Abraham is eternal life. I've heard TV preachers say, Walk in the blessing of Abraham. You know, claim that car, claim that house, claim that wife, claim that husband. That's not the full blessing of Abraham. And thank God it's not. Because cars rust. Houses have 
plumbing issues. Husbands and wives kick us off. The fullness of the blessing of God is eternal life. That's what it is. And just like God provided the sacrifice for Abraham, he's provided the sacrifice for us. And he reminds us this, that Jesus is alive. That's what we need. We need life. We need life. And Jesus is alive. And that's why we can trust his promise. I remember when my grandma promised me to bring me promised to bring me to Disneyland in 1997. Well, it's 2014, and I haven't been yet. <clears throat> Politicians are always promising to lower taxes and increase wages, but taxes rise and wages stay the same or get cut, and their pockets seem to get fatter somehow. People line up at the altar almost every Saturday, and they promise to stay faithful to one another, and, and some do, but... Sadly, the divorce courts are just as packed, if not more, sadly. The deodorant commercials promise if you use their product, you'll find a husband and wife, and you're still single. For all the empty and broken promises that we've received and given, there's one promise that is true. If you trust in Christ, you will receive eternal life. How do I know this promise is sure? He's given us the down payment. He died, but three days later, three, he rose from the dead. He defeated death, and he's still alive. He's still alive. Right now, he's alive. None of God's promises have failed, not one. His track record is perfect, and this one will not fail either. The problem of sin is solved in the provision of Christ. Trust him. His promise of eternal life is sure. So this sermon series is about practical principles, and I don't know if I've given you any, but I do have one. I said all of that just, just to come to this one practical principle. Trust God. That's it. Just trust God. I could have given you a list and said, Abraham did this, do this, be like Abraham. I don't want you to be like Abraham. I want you to be like Christ. Just trust him. It's that simple. If you're taking notes, you have one note today. Trust God. Trust God when it doesn't make sense. Trust God when it makes sense. Because God has given us the provision. He's given us the promise. He provided Abraham with a sacrifice. He provided him with the multiplication of his offspring. And from that offspring came Christ to fulfill fully the promise of God. So now God calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to be living sacrifices. He calls us to trust Him. Because Christ came and provides us with such a great salvation, now God says, trust me. Give me your whole life. I want it all. I want it all. He wants it all. Just trust Him. It's, sometimes trusting God means just putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Doesn't make sense? Just keep going. God will put you through the, the fire. He will walk you down a road that doesn't look fun. He will. But in it, you will learn to trust Him. And at the end of your life, when you die, or when He comes, hopefully He comes before that, but one of those two things will happen. And at the end of your life, you want to be found abandoned in trust 
uh, in here. You want, trust me, you want to do this. His provision is sufficient. His promise is sure. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your provision. I'm praying, Lord, that you would provide us with faith and trust in you. Give us, Lord, a heart um, that just believes. A heart that will go where you will go. A heart that, that says, Lord, I want what you want. Your will, not mine. God, the principle today is, is, is a simple one to say, but a hard one to do. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.